Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hey everyone, here is Danielle again in the next episode of the Ecom Show. And I'm really get, glad to have Aaron here today. And uh, he's the co-founder of uh, Bossal, an Australian-based uh, luxury watch brand. And uh, if you check their website, it's, it's an amazing brand, very, very exciting product and uh, very, very unique, I would say. Um, and he will share his experience, um, his knowledge, and 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 the history of this brand. Um, hey, Aaron, it's it's great to have you here today. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So I have a lot of questions uh, to you, and and you know that. Um, please, uh, first, please uh, tell us more about the the history of this brand, and and maybe even before that, what what did you do before? Uh, launching this brand? Well, um, I've been, I guess, launching brands or starting and founding and growing my own companies for about 25 years now. Um, When I did my apprenticeship after I left school, all of the the older guys at work used to come and complain about how they hated their jobs. And I was very young at that stage and I knew nothing about mortgages and um, alimony and childcare payments. Um, to know that they were too deep and they were too caught in their lives that they had to keep working in the job that they didn't like. So I left the day after I finished my apprenticeship and started working for myself and um, I've been doing that ever since. I just realised I couldn't, I couldn't become like them and, and hate what I did. So um, I became a, an entrepreneur and um, mm-hmm. here I am 25 years later. Wow. Um yeah, so 25 years, and, and what did you try during this journey? Well, um, I I started out as a hand-painted sign writer, like painting signs, um, mm-hmm. and then I moved in. As the world changed, I moved into uh, large-format digital printing, um, and then I've had, a, oh, I've had a few businesses over the years, a car brokerage, um, a distribution company, um, or a, a consulting agency, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I, I guess then move into e-commerce brands. Um, we launched uh, an e-commerce brand in the beauty space in May 2017 and that ended up in, within 18 months, we ended up in about oh, online about a hundred over 100 countries and 4,000 retail stores and then we ended up selling that company in, early 2019 so it's been a it's been a fun road lots of mistakes along the way um but learning and you know learning what works and learning how to automate things better um so that i own a business and don't just have a job yeah yeah that's that's amazing and uh how big was your staff before you sold this company oh we were we, with e-commerce we can stay pretty lean you know i'm sure we yeah. we had six people Wow. Yeah, because uh, you did consultancy before and I don't know if you had employees or, or contractors, but that's uh, that's different. And yeah. 
with e-commerce, you can stay leaner for sure. Yeah, much leaner. And that was one of the things I, that attracted me to e-commerce was to stay lean, um, less moving parts, set everything up. Um, because my, my specialty, I, I think, in, in e-commerce is in the operations and how all of the plumbing fits mm-hmm. together um, mm-hmm. so that it works globally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once, once you set up your you know your logistic centers and your um, I guess and all of the that each different part of the company is talking to itself automatically um, mm-hmm. and then the system just works then you know life's easy you can focus on growing it once you have those systems in automated systems in place. By the way, I'm curious when you started that brand, um, the beauty brand, did you start it with a with with the single purpose of selling it later or when you started out, you didn't know that you just started something that what you liked and where you could see the opportunity or you had the purpose of selling it later for, right from the beginning. I, I think for me, I, I like to build an asset I can sell um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I guess the entrepreneurial spirit never dies and, you know, it's you're constantly looking for new challenges. So mm-hmm. when you get something, yeah, I, I love the startup phase. So I'd, I'd love to sell and, and move on to the mm-hmm. next one. Um, but that that said, if if the opportunity is, doesn't arise to sell, then we keep working towards that and keep mm-hmm. looking for new ways to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do you feel there is a stage when you when you prefer selling the the business and start something again uh, from scratch or you know like because I know many entrepreneurs they don't like the you know the lot of moving pieces as you said and as you grow there there are more and more and it's just a lot of trouble for them and they just prefer the startup phase and and build it up to 10 20 people and then sell it yeah look I think that's a there, there are people that I guess specialize in, and a lot of entrepreneurs they specialize in the in the startup phase because it's they're always yeah. trying to get that get something up and running. But then yeah, yeah. up and running, it does get to a stage where it needs to be corporatized, and mm-hmm. that corporatized probably the wrong word, but it needs to become more corporate. Um, yeah, and that's that's where you know I guess some of the fun is taken out of it. Fun's probably the wrong word, but um, you know they become the randomness. Probably, the yeah, randomness. and there becomes more red tape and and less yeah. creativity, and you know, yeah, and then yeah. once once the you know the, the big money comes in, then you know everything does change. It's exciting still, but yeah. you know, I guess it's personal preference to to look at where to from here, you know, and if that suits your your lifestyle, um, you know, there, there's, yeah, that's 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 what it is. It's a lifestyle choice, I, I guess, because the the money's there, and you know, you can choose to. To, to sell out at that stage and take a year off or you can work harder and, and you know, learn more as you go. Yeah. It's all constant learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the initial stage is more proactive in my opinion. Once you get bigger and bigger, you get more requests from others and you get a lot of partnership offers and everything. And I think the company becomes more reactive do you, do you agree or or you don't? No, no, I, I I agree. That's kind of the business life cycle. It's mm-hmm. um you know and and then when more I guess more shareholders come in, you need to add more value for mm-hmm. those people. So the stresses increase. 
the number of stakeholders increases and you know and then everyone has an opinion um, that's why it has to become more pro- more corporate so that you know everyone knows where they stand and and what their i guess what their rights are mm-hmm. yeah just a recent example we hired a salesperson to our agency and it's a very different area than your uh, brand but i think they uh, connect so we hired a team member who came from a big company where they had a lot of systems and the sales job was very reactive because they had a lot of partnerships and everything. And my company is still at the, in the startup phase. We have 14 people now and we must be much more proactive. We, we have to go after um, bigger brands actively every day and, and, you know, get their attention. Um, and, this team member, she wasn't used to this kind of job, so now she's not with us anymore. But it was a great lesson for, for everyone that, uh, you know, these stages are very different and each stage needs the right people in the team. Absolutely. So that's very interesting. The right people, um, the right people in, the, in the team at the right time, it's the same as the right pieces of the puzzle in the right place at the right time because everything needs to make financial sense because if the cash flow doesn't work, then the stress increases. And then when the stress increases, everyone starts to perform differently. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Some people can't. Handle, um, some people can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so please, uh, after this, please tell us more about your current brand. How did you come up with the idea? And yeah, how, how did you get started with this current um, okay, brand. so Brossel is um, Australia's premier, premium watch brand um, and we're the only brand to ever partner with the Sydney Opera House um, or the first brand to ever partner with the Sydney Opera House, I should say. They've done one or two since then, but um, we started. And for a small brand, um, partner with such a big name, that was an incredible win for us. Um, but where it started is Christoph Hopp, the founder, He is French and he used to work in the Swiss watch industry as a CFO for one of the giants. He worked for Swatch Group and Technomarine. Now, they own everybody. They're huge in the the Swiss Mm -hmm. watch industry. So he met his wife who was an Australian ballerina in Geneva and when they fell in love, they moved back to Australia and Mm -hmm. they got married, moved back to Australia and when he was in Australia, he realised that nobody, there was no premium watch brands. There were a few lesser models but he he wanted something that was uniquely sorry it had to be swiss made and it had to be australian he realized there was nothing there so he had he made a choice to either go back and train and get accredited as a cfo or um actually finally because he'd always been designing watches to actually finally do something himself and and really have a go at it. And he just saw the opportunity and he said, I'm I'm going to do this because he'd fallen in love with Australia as soon as he got here and he wanted to give something back to Australia. And this this was his gift to Australia, the brand. And so it started out as a love story that he he fell in love with his Australian wife and then he got to Australia and looked around and fell in love with it all over again. He loved Australia. He loved the beaches. He loved the lifestyle. And he also loved Swiss watches, which he'd been designing for years just as a hobby. And he really wanted to make his hobby and his passion and combine his passion for watches in Australia. And that's how the brand came about. Mm-hmm. And BOSL stands for Beyond Australian Elements. So that the elements side of that, 
of the name is that the the way he wanted he made the watches become uniquely Australian. One, the Swiss made part was easy because you get them made in Switzerland, but the uniquely Australian part, he thought long and hard about it, and then he he came up with the the concept of making a hollow crown, and within the hollow crown with the display case, he would put some red earth from the centre of Australia or some some white sand from one of our beautiful mm-hmm. beaches. So every watch he would send out into the world, he was sending a piece of Australia with you. So in the beginning, the brand was very, very Australian, very touristy, and it was it was all kangaroos and red earth, which as a French guy um, living outside Australia, when he came to Australia, they were the things he was amazed by, and um, so he wanted to combine it in the brand. Yeah, I, I love these stories that uh, the whole thing uh, started with this love story and it's so random if you think about it. And <laughs> now you have this brand um, and, yeah, it, it's so random. It's, it's, uh, random, um, is definitely, random is definitely the word um, for, for this one, but, you know, everybody loves a good love story and, um, and this, is, this is two love stories combined into one which has completely changed his life and it's allowed him to step away from his corporate job and, and follow his passion. So mm-hmm. it takes, a, takes a, a very brave step because he had a very, very comfortable, like lucrative high-end corporate job in the Swiss watch industry that he stepped away from and was brave enough to, to try and, and, and you know, start something up that he'd never done before but he'd always wanted to. And his passion is what has allowed him to achieve so much um, you know, on, on his own. So the first several years he was, he was by himself. Um, mm-hmm. Then he started to get some consultants together to help grow, well, um, to help grow the brand and you know, he got his production right. Then in May, oh, sorry, then when we sold the business, he, he pro- approached me to take over um, as CEO in early 2019 and to, I guess, bring some of the same global growth strategies to Bossell and apply them here and, and grow the company, help him grow the company and add shareholder value. Got it. Um, back to the story. I, I really like this. Uh, I, I watched one of your videos before this podcast and uh, I could see that uh, you put some, you know, a pinch of, a pinch of sand into the, into the watch. Mm. And uh, I think that's, that's very unique. Um Yeah, so please, please, please tell us more about um, about the growth strategy what you implemented in the last years. Sure. What, Look, since, since I first got there, um, one of the things we did, I guess, almost instantly was was rebrand the company. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was too Australian, and it was more promoting tourism Australia than promoting our current Australian lifestyle that that we mm-hmm. love I mean so many yeah. Australians have gone before us where like especially on a global scale like Hugh Jackman Naomi Watts Simon Baker Nicole Kidman they're all good looking people striving for success and um, they're all a joy to work with so they have a really good reputation and Australia as a brand has a good reputation too yeah, yeah. there's a difference between what tourism Australia promotes and what we live in Australia and the lifestyle that we live because as much as we love kangaroos and koalas and airs rock and all of those amazing things that we don't take for granted 
It's not how we live on a day-to-day basis. Of course. And Australians, we have, we, you know, we have good food, we have good fashion, we have, you know, friendly, warm people striving for success and we take life seriously but not ourselves. You know, we need to have fun along the way and that's what I think people are attracted to about Australia. So we wanted to, we, we changed the brand to make it better represent our current Australian lifestyle voice, mm-hmm. how we live and who we are. Um, and that made instant, that made an instant, um, an instant change in, in or well, an instant increase in sales. Online sales year on year from 2018 to 2019 mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. grew by 346% year on year um, through that, through that brand, um, changing the brand and, and, and so, really getting that authentic brand voice. So you reposition the branding from this travel lifestyle and travel to Australia uh, from, from this, uh, from, from that more into like day-to-day Australian lifestyle and, and, and enjoying life in Australia. I'm curious how the audience changed. The audience after- changed in a way that, um, I, I guess previously it was it was too niche. I talked to a few retailers about the brand. Where in you know we were in some some retail stores, and I talked to them, and and they weren't overly happy with the sales and how they were going. Um, mm-hmm. Sure, they were selling, but they could only really sell to tourists. The brand was too it was too Australian for Australians, if that makes sense. Um, we didn't need a watch with some sand in it or you know the things that they were promoting were things that it's not how we lived as australians so australians wouldn't really buy it but tourists would mm-hmm. we had we had australians for sure we had most of our market was i mean maybe 50 of our market was australian but retailers wouldn't sell retailers weren't selling to australians at all they were only selling to tourists because of the way it was positioned and the the market mm-hmm. collateral um, and the point of sale so once we changed that Then Australians started to buy more. Um, everyone could relate to it, not only people who had been to Australia. People from outside of Australia would now buy it because it was they were buying into a lifestyle. Before they were buying a watch because they had a connection with Australia and they wanted to, I guess, take that connection with them. But once mm-hmm. it became the lifestyle brand, you're buying into something that you feel. Like you more people can connect with that lifestyle than than the, the niche that could connect with, oh, yeah, I went to Australia, I really loved it there, I'm going to buy one of their watches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. So it's, um, it was, we just need to, needed to be a little bit more authentic and more mass Australian. So we started having completely different conversations with retailers now. It's a, mm-hmm. it, it's a different world and it's opened up, it's opened up our conversations to where we're currently talking to some of the biggest retailers here in the U.S., Um, we just got into a store called Lotte, L-O-T-T-E, in Korea. They're Korea's biggest and most prestigious retailer. Um, they're put, starting us off in their flagship store in Seoul. Um, we're now talking to distributors like around the world um, who now see the value in, a, in an Australian lifestyle brand. So I know we've got something right um, when those guys start reaching out to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please tell us more about the retailers because uh... – Most of our audience, they do only e-commerce. They have their websites and online presence. Um, but 
they don't really, you know, they don't really do retail. So I'm really curious, what's your model for that? How do you combine it with uh, online sales? And uh, maybe what's the distribution between the two um, e-commerce and, and retail? And what trends can you see? I guess e-commerce is growing faster, but uh, maybe not. Um especially during coronavirus. So I'm curious, what you, how do you see this now? Sure. Um, look, uh, it really depends. E-commerce, do you, need, do you need to go to retail? It depends on your brand. It depends on mm-hmm. your product. And it, depends yeah. on, and it depends on your plans for global growth. And if it is mm-hmm. something that you want to sell a company down the track, um, you know, there are lots of reasons for it and reasons against it. Like if you... Like we talked before about the simplicity and the and uh, of the startup phase. Well, not simplicity because you have to wear a lot of hats. But as you grow, it becomes more stressful because more more moving parts. And retail is definitely another moving part that becomes you know it adds a different level of stress. But when you move into some of the bigger retail places, it's plug and play. They have it all completely dictated to you how it has to be. So it's not mm-hmm. creative. You just play in their system. You just you adapt yourself to their system and they have it all laid out for you and you just need to learn their system and plug and play. So once it's done, it's done. The setup of retail is tough. Um, the margins are tougher. And then mm-hmm. it's once it's done, you're, you're in and, and you just wait for those orders. So, But yeah. for, for us, it, it, look, as I said in the previous brand in the beauty space, we ended up in about 4,000 retail stores. Um, mm-hmm. That helped us achieve growth so fast because mm-hmm. we we're in a store in um in in korea that was oh, and and you know south korea are, are kind of leaders in the beauty space but we're in a store in a, a chain of stores that had 1100 stores so when they're doing orders they're doing orders of half a million dollars um and stuff so like your your online growth grows quickly but you're always constantly having to advertise and find new people and bring them into your funnel and then and then you know get them to subscribe and and, and you know they're all one-off buyers but here you then have um you know i guess people buying a you know half a million a million dollar orders um which really helps your growth dramatically then you can use that to you know funnel back into your online your pay-per-click ads so it's all part of pieces of the puzzle so it depends on how you want to grow and and how important um, you know that that growth is to you because with once you get into retail especially if you break into a new country uh, online it's very tough to in that education phase but when you get into some of the big retail names then people believe in they already have belief in those retail names so they then they then believe in you so it adds a lot of credibility mm-hmm. so yeah retail Especially for us at the moment with Bosell as a, a higher price item, our average price point is about seven hundred and fifty Australian dollars, which I can't work out what the euro is at the moment. Um, like five hundred, I think. Yeah, around five hundred. So similar to the US, um, it's not necessarily an impulse buy. Um, I mean, it's it's not an impulse buy. So, um, and to spend five hundred dollars on a on a, a brand that you don't actually know, yeah, yeah. you need to see that brand a few times. You know, so if you trust a, a retail place that's right through Europe, and then this brand is now being sold in that brand that you, in that retail retailer that you already trust, you know that you can trust this brand because 
the retail brand has already vetted them. So there is a there is a uh, I guess a call for retail that helps you develop trust in your brand. What I heard from a footwear brand based in based here in Europe, um, they have half of their sales from e-commerce and the other half from traditional retail. And uh, the owner told me that uh, one of the key differences um, to start retail, it's more expensive. Uh, there is more, um, what's the right word, like, you know, constant expenses. I, I forgot the financial term for this, but uh, like every month you have to pay that amount. So the entry barrier is, is higher than with e-commerce. Today, to start an e-commerce store, it's not expensive at all. No. Um, but to get into retail, it's more expensive. But if you want to scale retail, it costs less than scale uh, e-commerce because you have to pay to Facebook, Google, or other channels to get more traffic. But uh, in retail, if you, 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 know, if you are in a good uh, chain, retail chain, and uh, the location is good, um, and it's Christmas, let's say, then uh, you don't have to pay more to get more traffic, more customers. No, so I agree. So, I agree one hundred percent. So yeah, this is what he told me, and uh, yeah, I, I also agree. So everyone should keep this uh, in mind. Mm. Um, Look, it's then yeah. you know that's if you go into a retail chain. If it's so, you do have to. Everything's about cash flow, so you do have to have to have some generate some level of sales before uh, you know e-commerce to be able to afford if you especially if you're opening your own retail store um yeah you know we opened a pop-up store just to do some retail testing in the rocks in sydney and um that was amazing because for the first time in you know bossell's nine-year history people could actually come somewhere and touch and feel like in our own store and that connected with people on a on such a level that you know, sales were incredible and far outweighed. Uh, or actually, in the first few weeks um, prior to COVID, we were doing the testing, and and our, mm-hmm. the first few weeks was a a month sales in well equaled a, a month sales in e commerce. Um, mm-hmm. wow. So it was, I mean, that was the excitement of, of the new store and new brand and some launch stuff. But um, yeah, again, there's it really depends on your brand. It really depends on your product. In the in the beauty space, it, it really helped us. Um, we you know we we turned over quite a substantial amount in, in e-commerce in the first year. Um, then we tripled that in the first quarter of the following year because of retail. But if you find I find if you're making enough noise in the retail in the, on, in the e-commerce space, retailers will come to you. Mm-hmm. And. and but you, but to do that, you do need to be making that noise. There needs to be demand because yeah. retailers want to know that, you know, if you go to them and say, hey, can you help us sell our product, blah, blah, they don't want to know about you. But if your product's flying out the door on e-commerce, they want a part mm-hmm. of it. So then they'll come to you mm-hmm. and then and then you will have, um, you know, you'll have some leverage over. But if, yeah. if you're going to them and asking, then, you know, they're going to screw you down on, on, um, on margin as far as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess they. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you go. So they they also want to have their own uh, slice from the cake. Oh, absolutely! They want the they want the biggest slice. Um, yeah. 
you know, most places will be, I mean, in the US it's, it's different, but quite a few of the places around the world, they want 65% discount or 65% margin. Then they want, then they charge you ongoing for, they charge you an extra percent for, um, for storage and an extra percent for, um, I guess for marketing or an extra couple of percent for marketing. So you end up, you know, that you've gone from 65%, which is almost, you know, nothing left for you once you take your cogs out and then they screw you for a few more percent. So it's, um, it is really tough, but so it needs to be thought out very carefully as to um, how does it help your brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. Mm. So it's, it's, it's retail for the most part to begin with, I think is a marketing play and brand awareness play until it grows. And then once you have that volume, it then becomes it then becomes you know financially viable and and yeah. it can really add value and move the needle quickly. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. That's very interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing uh, all of these. Um, yeah. So if if anyone goes to your website and you already mentioned, so you partnered up with the Sydney Opera House as the first brand. Um, and uh, you also worked uh, with the with the star of uh, Prison Break, the series. If anyone watched that, when I was young, I, I watched every episode with my grandma. By the way, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so you worked a lot of uh, influencers, and and you know you could partner up with these originally Australian. Um, we can call them brands, I think. Um, so what was the secret uh, to work with, with a star from a series and, and to partner up with the Sydney Opera House? Um, if anyone wants to do something similar here in Europe or in the US or, or somewhere in the world, what they should do, how they should approach this thing? Well, I have a secret weapon here and that's my wife. Um, she's, my, she's my business partner in, in quite a lot of things and she's, uh, she's a brand ambassador. Oh, sorry, not brand ambassador, the I guess the um, the head of brand for Bossell. She's also on the board of Bossell. Now her background is in celebrity endorsements. So she she used to be an actor's agent. So she has a very very serious network here in the US um, of celebrities. And also she her job when she was young as a as an actor's sorry as a brand sorry as a celebrity endorsement specialist was putting deals together. So. She's very creative and she understands both sides because she used to be an actor's agent. So she understands the, the company side. She understands the actor's needs, the, the brand's needs and the agency's needs. So mm-hmm. it's very easy for her to put together a deal that is mm-hmm. that makes everybody happy. So, look, Dominic Purcell, to be honest, he, he works for us for next to nothing. Um, my wife, Rebecca, put together a, a great deal and, and he um, – He's Australian, so he wanted to support an Australian brand, and mm-hmm. uh, we're very lucky that he like he does so much above and beyond for us. That you know, because he loves the brand, um, he it just really fits with the lifestyle that he likes to live. So mm-hmm. it's um, you know there are there are different ways. I mean, you can give you can give equity. Um, it depends on you. You can you can do a deal or like an endorsement deal where you do a a specific product attached to them and they get royalties for it. Um, so there are lots of different ways to, to um, 
you know, to, to skin the deal. But it, it yeah. really just depends on the company, on your cash flow, on the on the connection with the celebrity or the ambassador, um, and how you how you feel about having um, a smaller piece of a bigger pie. Yeah. Um... Yeah, like two hours ago, I just had a call with one of our team members and uh, we talked about influencer marketing for one hour. Um, I think we will add this service uh, to to our services uh, in the future. And, um, and, you know, if um, the, the influencer has an emotional attachment to your brand and what you represent... And as you said, this guy is also, he's also from Australia, then it's much easier. It's much more genuine. And also the creative will be much uh, more high quality. We checked a few Instagram profiles. Uh, we checked a few good and bad examples. And the bad examples, those influencers, they promoted something every day um, and I think they promote like 300 different brands in, in one year. That's, that's terrible. And, and, and the caption was uh, something like, uh, get 20% discount today. Um, these are our packages. And even the packages were in the caption. Like yeah. It was like a product page on Instagram. So I'll tell you right now, don't waste your money on those type of things. Yeah. So, look, the, the thing with... The difference between celebrities and influencers is that people like a celebrity, um, the, the audience that like a celebrity are very broad because they watch their movies over the years and they play many different characters. So people like them as a different character and then they go, I loved you in that. And then they start following you from one movie and then they're different people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. But some of the influencers, like a generic influencer on, on Instagram, it's, their audience is not is very similar, but with a, a targeted niche audience, like say for instance a beauty influencer, um, or people who do a, you know the tutorials on YouTube, um, their audience is very specific beauty or very specific watch industry. Or if you find the right ones and partner with them, you know on a on a deal where they can they can speak authentically. Um, yeah. It has to be authentic, otherwise it's, it's nonsense. Like the people you just talked about that were, you know, promoting a different product every day. It's, you know, no one cares anymore. The audiences, social media don't want to be ad- – well, people on social media don't want to be advertised to anymore. They don't want to see you with your a new product every day. They want to see something that you care about and connect with and they want to know if they can connect with it too. And it has to be an authentic emotional connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, at all costs. So we partnered with a, a beauty influencer um, with our mm-hmm. previous company, and mm-hmm. she has she does tutorials on YouTube, and she like she has two and a half million followers on YouTube, and she'd always been doing endorsements for different companies, um, but always paid endorsements, and always you know have to say now you know paid paid partnership with X Y or Z, but she was able to stand up in front of the camera and say, hey, this is the first time I've ever done this before, but I'm a part of this company. We talked to her a few times and when we were, in, when we were setting up the brand and getting ready to launch and she said, hey, I really love this product and she asked us, she said, is there any room for me? 
because um, we were just using her as a consultant to test our product and to get it right when we we're in the research and development phase. And then she asked if there was any opportunity to be involved. And then that started us thinking, look, we'd love to have you involved. Um, let's you know come up with a deal. And then my wife, Rebecca, she she was the one to put the deal together, obviously, um, because that's her specialty. And I like to let the experts be the experts. I don't need to know everything or run everything. Um, and then she came up with something amazing. So for the first time, she, that influencer was able to stand up in front of the camera and say, hey, I actually own part of this company. This is my company and mm-hmm. I'm involved in it because I love it. I'm not just standing up and saying, hey, here's this, you know, here's this great product. You should try it because I'm doing, you know, I'm endorsing this company because they're paying me. I'm actually part of this. And mm-hmm. the, the response from people were, was incredible because it was real, authentic and in a serious emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And we would have we then built a, a following of thousands of people, thousands of loyal followers who would do our marketing for us. They would then start going out and saying, "Hey, you know, you've got to check out this new brand that X has started," and or you know, and if we would have customer service or anyone would complain or ask a question on Instagram or Facebook, our followers would jump on and answer the question for us because they felt. It was authentic. They felt like they were one of us. And that's the goal, I believe, in social media is to make people feel that they're part of your team. It's not just you to them. You have to really connect with them and get them to want to be part of it. And then once they are part of it and they feel it's real, they become your best ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. No, no, you okay. go. Yeah, it's a great story. I think not many business owners would be fine uh, to you know give equity to to someone to to that's um, the, that's, the, that's that's the difference though because in it depends on where you want to go like in your like if if you are serious about growing a global brand um you need to be prepared to pay for that audience now that audience of two and a half million people you either have to give equity or you have to have the funds to do it. So you can push and push and push and pay-per-click, pay-per-click, pay-per-click. Now, what? how much would you have had to spend to get access or to actually reach the same audience that we were able to reach in the space of a couple of weeks or a month and then bring them all on board in, an, in such an authentic way? How much would you have had to spend um, in digital advertising to achieve that? I don't think you could have achieved. I don't think you could have achieved it. And again, I go back to people always want a bigger, sorry, yeah, a bigger piece of a smaller pie. Now, I would always, as an entrepreneur, in the early days, I want I wanted the whole pie to myself. But yeah. as I've learned over the years, I'm nearly fifty now, and I've been in this for this game for twenty five years. Um, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it does work that way, but mm, way less often. And if, if you are, it's, I mean, I'm talking strategic partners. You never give equity to anyone just for the sake of, you know, are you going to, yeah. they're going to help you. But a strategic equity deal can take you to the next level and accelerate your growth so fast compared to, because it's authentic. You can't buy authentic any anymore. It needs to be, because the people on social media are so, so much smarter these days. They're so much better educated. Everybody knows how it works. And one of the, the most recent, um, I think, like digital media reports is that 
um, 85% of people won't click on an ad in Google, you know, and only only 15% of people will. So mm-hmm. you know, where are you spending your money and, and how? You can do it the hard way and push it or you can, you know, take some risks and bring some solid partners into the team. You know, for me, I'm always, I'm always one team, one dream. I'm not, you know, I don't like doing things on my own. It gets lonely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if, you're surrounding, yourself, if you're surrounding yourself with best-in-class people, then, you know, you get best-in-class results. Yeah. Um, just as a side note, uh, I think like 60% of people use ad blocker on, yeah, in exactly. their browser for a huge percentage. So, yeah, so, people so, you know, don't want that. That in itself is, is means people are going to have to find ways, find new ways to connect with people because the the longer this goes on, I you know we may not be able to keep paying to see you know, people to see our ads. Yeah, I think we could uh, record a separate episode about how to find a good strategic business partner, and uh, this goes very long, and. Mm. Uh, Yeah, it's a very interesting mindset because, as I as I said, um, most business owners they don't think like this. They and as you also said, they want the pie for themselves, and and that's it. Um, But in doing that, in keeping the pie for yourself, you end up burning yourself out. You end up very stressed. Yeah. You end up running out of cash. You, you um, don't share the, you know, the big the big uh, gains or the big big prices or or no, rewards. You have smaller gains, smaller rewards, but you, you have bigger stress. Yeah, and you can get lonely, as you said. Absolutely. And, you know, there's no one to share the stress with. And, and, but it's like business should be fun for me. I, I think business should be fun. I love it. I, I work every, all day, every day, excuse me, but I don't feel like I work. It's, yeah. you know, I, I feel like I'm living my dream. And, You know, there have been some failures along the way, a lot of lessons along the way. Um, you know, I would have liked to have studied business before starting a business, but I don't think you need to. I think you just need to, you know, there are some principles you do need to follow, obviously, um, some basic principles, and then the rest is get out and create, build relationships and add add more value than you take in, uh, in payment. By adding value, more value than you take in payment, you're building relationships and people who will come back. Yeah, yeah, great mindset. Um, I have two questions to you. Yeah. Uh, to the end. So what is the biggest challenge now for, for Bozell? Look, um, the biggest challenge for me is always in finding the right agency, the right data-driven agency, um, because there are so many agencies out there who say, yeah, well, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that, and then – Especially in the US, they have these amazing upfront sales teams and they say everything perfectly. They're so well-trained in the sales side of things. And then once you get through the sales time, it's sales side, it's like, hey, where did everybody go? You know, so they don't, they don't follow through. And I know there's a lot of testing. You, know, you need to test audiences and things digitally. And I think um, You know, if someone's telling you they're still testing audiences after six months and they're not starting to scale, then you've got the wrong agency. So it's it's finding the right people. Um, yeah, that finding the right people and and I guess hire hire slow, 
fire fast. Um, but yeah. I'd rather hire slow and, and get the right results because I'll, I will only work with best-in-class people these days. That's one thing that's been an issue that I've been learning as I go, but a, a big part of that is is you have to pay for best-in-class. Um, and, you know, startups and founders without investment or without any venture capitalist backing um, that are, you know, bootstrapping things themselves don't often have enough funds to pay for best-in-class people. So you end up getting some results, um, you know, and then it's, it's, a, it's slow growth, it's more stress. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just getting the right, finding the right people um, at the right time. And there's, there's, a, there's a book I read called Who, which is a, it's, it's a business book that's not about business strategies and business. Um, mm-hmm. It's about who to hire and how to hire the right people. It's it's the only book I've read on 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 the people. The only business book I've read on only specifically about hiring people. Um, it, it was, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to, you know, what else is what else is out there. Because as a, as an entrepreneur, I think as growing and being in the startup phase all the time, you end up you tend to do a lot of things yourself, especially when you own the whole pie, um, and you end up working and you end up having a job instead of a business, but. Being able to do the business, you need to automate it. You need to have the right people doing the right jobs, as you said before. Um, yeah, so I, I guess people is one of the, the biggest pain mm-hmm. points and, and finding the right people with the right expertise and the ones, especially people who are agile and can then quickly, you know, if something's not working, um, they're not achieving the results, they can dig deep into the data, find the problem, or at least come up with creative ways to fix the problem and achieve the results that everyone's looking for. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when I started out my business, I um, I wanted to learn everything. And I after a while, I had to realize that I should be and must be more like a manager and hire people. And the question is not how to solve the problem, but who solves the problem. Absolutely. And, uh, and that was a big learning for me as well. And um, yeah, that's that's a huge step in 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 business. I think um, it's we all. I think it's a step we all need to take. And one thing for me that I live I live by is I like to let the experts be the experts. Mm-hmm. Because as an entrepreneur, it's really hard to let go of your baby, and you've you've steered it this far, and you've grown it this far, and to actually. A lot of entrepreneurs, and you know, they become CEOs as the company grows, and then they tend to micromanage. But yeah, exactly. It it, it stunts your growth. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you don't give them enough ownership. Just a few weeks ago, we we always have a three hundred and sixty feedback uh, survey, or or we have calls as well in the team. But the point is, everyone gives feedback to everyone. And many people gave me the feedback that they want to take more ownership and they want to do more than what they do now in their, you know, based on their job description. They want to do more things what they didn't do before. Like I, like somebody creates emails in the software and he wants to write blog posts, so something very different. Um, he, he wants to do it for fun. And I think we have to give um, employees um, 
more more space for creativity, more more flexibility, and they can enjoy their work more. They can take more ownership uh, on what they do, and uh, and then they will be more creative as well if they take more ownership. Absolutely, so, and it's it's I think it's great that they want more ownership um, because they're the people you want on your team. And if they take complete ownership and responsibility over it, then they take complete ownership and responsibility, not only of their results, but of the company's results. And then it comes back to the saying I said before of one team, one dream. You know, everyone's headed in the right direction then. And and it becomes, you know, you, you lift each other up when you're in that when you're in that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, my last question. Yeah. Yes. No, that's good. <laughs> so my- so my last question, what would be the one piece of advice to our audience? E-commerce business owners, marketers, a few agencies. Uh, in 2020, we have coronavirus. We have some craziness in the world. What, what would you recommend? What would I recommend? Um, firstly, congratulations for still being in business after the crazy last few months we've had. Um, I think it's been good for e-commerce. What is the new? Like we grew our e-commerce by 26% in the last quarter um, due to retail being closed. Quite a few of the big retailers have been reaching out to our brand at the moment because they're changing the way, they're they're expanding their product offering. Um, They're expanding their product offering to, I guess, add some new brands and starting to now drive their online. They're switching their focus to online. So, you know, there could be, I don't know what the future of online looks like, um, but no one knew this coronavirus thing was happening or COVID-19, but what's the next, what's the next thing that happens? Is it the internet? Is there a virus in the internet that affects all e-commerce stores? I think don't focus too much in any particular space, make yourself safe. Make your businesses safe is what I would recommend and safe by diversifying into, you know, some retail, some e-commerce, some distribution. I mean, it just grow your business in, you know, because we don't know what's coming. And that's one thing that I think is really, really apparent from from COVID-19. No one would have expected us to have lived the year that we did this uh, in the last few months so far, um, yeah, make make yourself safe, and 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 how that looks is is diversity, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 um, and it's super important both for your business and and your personal uh, life as well. You should diversify. You should uh, look uh, for different ways where to invest your money and. Uh, if you lose e-commerce or, or retail, then you still have the the other. So, so absolutely. yeah. I mean, go all in with your passion. Like be absolutely 100% all in with passion and drive and commitment to your business. Um, but look at look at ways to make it safe. Um, that would be my, my best advice. And and also, you know, share the load. Look at look at ways to you know have a potentially have a bigger a smaller piece of a bigger pie that's that's always important because we we sometimes get too caught up and too focused because we're emotionally attached to our business as entrepreneurs and my job as a ceo um of bossel has been to wade my way through the founder's passion and and make sure that i manage that passion in a way that 
keeps us going in the right direction mm-hmm. um, and that I, I, I guess, overcome some of the emotional decisions because, you know, as entrepreneurs we do make emotional decisions but, again, that's not necessarily making us safe. So I'm still on the make, a safe, make the company safe section here. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's all we can do, you know, diversity across all of our lives but passion all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great words, Aaron. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming uh, to our uh, podcast today, and uh, I think you shared a lot of uh, great, you know, uh, recommendations, and also you shared the the story of your last two brands, and I I wish you great success with 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 the current one. Um, if anyone wants to find you, uh, where where uh, they can find you? Um, you can find, as in me personally, or as in the brand, because I'll give um, you both. So, with the brand, it's um, Bossel Wear online at www.bossel b a u s e l e dot com. So that's bossel dot com, um, and me. I guess my email. I'll give an email if anyone wants to reach out. It's um, c o o t i e. 2107 at gmail.com. So that's C O O T I E 2107 at gmail.com. Look, I'm I'm always, I love to talk business and I'm happy for anyone to reach out because it's my favorite topic. Um, And I don't, you know, I, like I said before, I love what I do and I don't feel like I ever work, even though I'm, I'm, I'm never, I'm never not working. And if I can, I feel very lucky that I've set my life up in this way that I can work from anywhere. Um, I can enjoy what I do. I actually really love what I do. And um, that's the dream at the end of the day. And if I can make some money out of it along the way, even better. Yeah, 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 you are right. Um, Aaron, so thanks again uh, for coming today. And uh, thanks uh, for to the audience to, to listen to this episode and Stay tuned because every Thursday we are coming out with a new episode. We talk about e-commerce, marketing, business, um, hiring principles, a lot of different things. Um, so, so thanks again, everyone, um, and stay tuned. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.